Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation to be had about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. You're listening to episode 45, and this week I spoke to Adrian Antonson of State the Label. Falling on my interest in production and where that's led me in terms of guests lately, I wanted to speak to Adrian about how she began and continues to run her clothing label State. So part of this curiosity for me is how a person gets interested in and find themselves working in fiber and clothing production. Adrienne talks me through her entire journey of working with fiber and clothing making, beginning as a middle schooler sewing simple clothing, to working on an alpaca farm and sewing garments and felting by night, to putting into place some of the bones of state as we know it today. Adrian shares the process of growing and scaling the business, from figuring out how to work with a factory to hiring a small team to support production locally. Her approach is and has always been scrappy, and many parts of her process are not scalable. She revels in the small details and talks me through what it's like to design and produce a collection of surface-designed goods. Spoiler, it's a lot more logistically complex than you might imagine. Adrian reveals an exciting upcoming launch for State, which I imagine a lot of listeners will be very excited about. I love the arc of Adrian's story, how really genuine and approachable it all feels, how the pieces of State have come together over time and with a lot of effort, but also with a lot of just sticking to your gut. Listen on for our whole chat. Thanks so much for tuning in. of Close Knit, and I'm here with Adrian Antonson of State the Label. Hey, Adrian. Hi there. How's it going? It's going great. Good. Where are you? I am in Athens, Georgia, and I am sitting in our new house, and I'm drinking a hot cup of tea. Nice. I like the mug. It's a beautiful mug. Thanks. I have, like, probably six mugs that my daughter has painted. Mm. Um, this was her very first piece of pottery back when she was one. Um, oh my gosh, them. that's so beautiful. I remember looking back through your Instagram where there was a, you and your daughter were like painting something together and you were talking about it in, in the words that you were collaborating. And I had never thought about the possibility of a parent and a child at this, in that kind of relationship collaborating. And I just like lost it. Oh my gosh. That's so funny you say that because I feel like I felt like that even like even before I was even pregnant. I always felt like being a mom was going to like crack me open creatively in a way that like I couldn't really put my finger on, but I just knew it was going to be like this surge of inspiration that like I had never felt. And then especially Ayla being my first kid, she's so like, she's just, she's so full of energy and she's so like just down for projects and she's only three, but I feel like She's like my best friend. I mean, we just do we do everything together, but we do so many projects and it's totally collaborating. I mean, she's made she's made products for state. She's named products for state. Um, we uh, we made these rugs and then they became the illustrations from the rugs became I made blankets out of them. I had blankets made and um now we're working on a series of paintings. Like I studied painting in school and I've always missed it and wanted to get back to it. And we just did a, a large one for our living room 
And like within minutes of painting with her, I was like, we are going to be doing more of these. We're going to do like 15 paintings, like mother, daughter, like fine art painters. And I was like, we're going to have a gallery show. We're going to sell our paintings and we're going to save it for a college fund. And she's like so into it. And every night after dinner, we like put on some records and we like go over to this, like I turned the corner of our living room against my husband's wishes into like a full painting studio. And so like I line the walls and the floor with canvas drop cloth and I have all these like jars of house paint and we try to keep him away from August who just started to walk and like wants to eat every paintbrush. But like every night we just go over and we paint and she like draws and we just like layer up her drawings and my paintings and her paintings and my drawings. And they're really badass. Like working with her is so fun and it's um yeah, it's like the best it's totally collaborating too. Like we share ideas and we brainstorm and it's like she has an equal, if not stronger voice than I do. Um, so yeah, it's really, it's like my favorite thing. That's really special. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, one day she'll probably hate it. She'll be like, I never, I don't want to do anything with you, mom. Like you're so, right. but like right now she's so into it and she calls it, we, um, like we, we do a lot with tools too. Like we're the handy ones in the house, not my husband. So like if we get something from Ikea, like she and I assemble it and we like try to like, like time ourselves and like be really fast. I'm like, give me the wrench, you know, give me the hammer. And she, she calls it project girls. And then we high five. <laughs> it's really cute. Project you guys are going to start a show next time I see you. Project yeah. Girls, HGTV. Boom. If you're listening, <laughs> your next concept right here. That yeah. It's so sweet. It's the best. Oh my yeah. gosh. That's beautiful. Gosh. I mean, I like have so many questions about that, but I'm going to try to stay on topic because I, uh, I know that not everyone is as intrigued by baby things as as I am. I'll tell you the good and the bad. (laughs) Um, Well, okay. So I, I was thinking about the kind of trajectory of like people that I've been speaking to recently. And I realized that like part of what shaped this is that I have a real interest lately in how people found themselves in different fields of production. And um, I spoke to Isa- Isadora Alvarez from of Backbeat Rags last episode, and she's she has presents like quite a different model of production to you, where she's kind of um, doing a lot of the design, and then it's happening in like factories in LA. And what I wanted to find out from her was like how what planted that seed, and how did it grow to what it is today? And so I kind of wanted to f- to hear that from your perspective because I think it will be really different and really interesting. Um, so I wanted to ask what your kind of earliest memory of, of doing something with fiber is. Oh gosh. Um, like I'm sure there was like a lot of like tiny kid things, but in middle school, I learned how to sew in fifth or sixth grade. My mom showed me how to use the sewing machine. It's like, she was a basic sewer. Like she didn't really, I didn't grow up like watching her sew, but she showed me like, this is the pedal. This is how to do it but like I didn't know how to thread it for years so like my bobbin would run out and I'd be like mom come thread my bobbin but I just like figured out how to sew lines and then I started thinking in terms of quilts like I started I like I love processing logistics of things so I was like okay if you sew like this square to that square and then you do a whole strip and then do another strip you know I started like putting things together like like geometry in my mind um and then that led to clothing and sewing um clothes like all through middle school and then high school I was making clothes and then that turned into surface design like in high school I was sew screening and batik and um oh, wow. experimenting with that type of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, how I did guess, you learn to do those things? 
I think, well, so I went to this great, my mom taught at a private high school in Florida. And so we got to go there for free, which was awesome. And the art department was amazing. Mm. And um, our art teacher was great. And he was, you know, like Photoshop. I feel like Photoshop had like just come out or something, but like we were learning Photoshop and uh, which now I'm sure everyone in high school knows, but um, it was like special at the time. And uh, yeah, we learned, we had a dark room. So we were doing photography and then he showed us how to burn a screen. And so then I started like playing around. Like I, I was collecting flower like dried flowers and pressing them so I did one mm. screen that was all dried flowers so it almost looked like a um what's that called with the paper that changes light changes color in the light cyanotype Ooh. I think yeah oh, so I did yeah, a, yeah. I did screens like that so it was um yeah just started fooling around with silkscreen my grandparents actually silkscreened um they died when I was little but we I have like I still have my grandpa's silkscreen squeezies and things like that he was oh, a Lutheran wow. he was a Lutheran minister and a clown and, oh. and then they like, but they just like silk screen their Christmas cards and stuff. Oh, it was wow. like on the side. Um, so fun fact, but, um, so yeah. And then, but I think Batik, I must have, I just got really interested in like weird fiber stuff and I probably just read about it in a book and then like ruined multiple pots and pans, or I guess pots in our kitchen. And my mom had just married my stepdad and he like, he it was like the first time he ever like kind of got mad at me because I... Like I put paper down, newspaper down on our glass kitchen table and then like started batiking and it just got wax everywhere. And I like ruined all these nice pots in the kitchen and he was like, this is not a studio. (laughs) So yeah, I've been like messing up things for a really long time, like destroying all (laughs) that nice household stuff. So yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then pretty much like never stopped. Yeah. So then after high school, you went on to study painting? Yeah, I went to just like a regular call. I went to college to Charleston in South Carolina. And I just I didn't really want to go to an art school. I don't know why. Um, I think because I didn't I think I was like scared. I don't know. I didn't want to go too far from home. I didn't want to go to like a big city. I was like very nervous about that sort of thing. So I just wanted to go somewhere like comfortable. And I just studied paint. I studied I went I became a studio art major with an emphasis on painting. But even then I like dabbled in so many things I did a lot of independent study and started um I started working actually a lot with human hair and doing these like really intricate human hair sculptures and like testing the the bounds of that medium because it was so challenging and strange and disgusting and attractive um so yeah I was doing a lot of non-traditional fiber work in college just because where I went it was like super fine art like there was there was no textiles there there was no silk screen it was just like painting or sculpture yeah that's so interesting okay so then you're there can you walk me through kind of um the story of how you got from this point to maybe beginning state oh gosh okay it's, like it's okay such, if it's a big long story it it's can a take the whole time story, but um okay so yeah I graduate college and I always I like I've always done weird jobs but I've just was I was like I don't want a job I just want to do my own thing like I come from a really entrepreneurial family my grandparents um the other ones not the clown minister the other grandparents super entrepreneurial always had businesses always grew up hearing stories about their stores and their inventions and and it skipped a generation because my brothers and I are super entrepreneurial and just like have only ever worked for ourselves um so I just started my first clothing company straight out of college having zero idea. And it wasn't even, it was like, I was doing a lot of deconstructed stuff and I was drawing on a lot of clothes. It was called Spinster. It was really cool. It was like before Etsy, like no one was really doing this. And I was so 
inspired by like capturing materials from waste streams and reusing them and, you know, using, having these products be an inspiration for people of like how to look at waste in different ways. And, um, but it was, you know, it's interesting because I think back, I was living in all of these really random places, like in the early years of having a, a quote unquote clothing company where I had no idea like how to actually make clothing in like a real way. Um, cause there weren't these fashion models, like, I mean, and by models, I don't mean like model models, but, um, there wasn't, there wasn't an, an industry. There wasn't like a place to have things made. There wasn't any other designers really to look to. And I guess I was, it wasn't like, I wasn't into blogs. I didn't know where to look online. I had no influence for this. So I was just making it up like with the resources that I had, like I'm really scrappy. So I was like, okay, I'll just get this stuff and I'll get these sweaters from Goodwill and like shrink them and like felt them into these bags. And, you know, I was just being as resourceful as I could. And then I've li- I lived, you know, having these little companies, I like lived there and then I lived on an island in Seattle and then, you know, eventually end up in New York City, which I never really planned on doing. And then it was only mm. once I got there that I was like, oh, okay. Like there's like real ways to be doing this. And I've just been totally making this up and doing this like half-ass, like super patchwork approach to like having these, like to making clothes. And so it was such a learning curve to get to New York and be like, okay, I have so many questions. Like, where do you start? Like, what are all these steps that people are doing? Like, how do you really do this? It wasn't until I got to New York years later that I like finally understood like what a marker is for a pattern and like how like production sewing gets done. But I think being so scrappy those early years and like living and being my husband and I have always been really like nomadic people. We've just traveled around and moved a lot. And, um, I think being creative in a lot of different settings and having to think on my feet and be really resourceful has informed a lot of like how I run state and how I think about production. But, um, yeah, and it also really influenced what I was making. So then after Charleston, we, were, we lived there for a while. Um, my husband and I read about it in a magazine and then moved to this island off the coast of Seattle, like with no plan, no jobs, really. He had a job that he was going to work remotely from, but he lost it right when we got there. So we were like young, no jobs, knew nobody. Like <laughs> it was crazy. Um, we had this old biodiesel like station wagon, Mercedes station wagon, um, that we bought for like, you know, $2,000. It was just such a crazy time, but we lived on this Island and, um, there I started working on an alpaca farm. I started volunteering and then eventually like moving onto the farm and started managing a herd of like 50 alpacas. And I went like full Jane Goodall on the alpacas. (laughs) Like I was, I'd always wanted to have a farm experience in my life. And, um, I like fully immersed myself. It was like fibers and like learning about how they mate and learning about all of the genetics. And I created this whole, um, genetic map of the entire herd. Cause I really wanted, wanted to understand all the sibling relationships and like who the parents were and all the different generations that they had had of all these little alpaca babies. And, um, yeah, I got so, so into it and it was like my life for years and I loved it. And I learned how to implant microchips and trim all their hooves and shear, shear them. And, and then, you know, learning about the fiber side of things was incredible. I mean, I just really dove deep into that also, you know, processing the fleece once it's, once it's off the animal, cleaning it, and then, you know, running it through all the different machines by hand. And then I just, 
like went crazy with felting. I set up a whole wet felting studio in the barn. The family that we were living with who owned the farm, they were so just patient and wonderful with me. <laughs> I was like, hey guys, um, so if I like cleaned out half this barn, they're like, go for it. Um, so I was out there like all winter in Seattle, like with a little hand, like hand warmer, like a little heating thing near my hands, felting like huge large scale rugs. And cause I had 500 pounds of fleece just sitting in this barn that they were like trying to sell. And so I just, yeah, I kind of went crazy with felting. And so then that started trickling into my clothing line. Um, which at the time I started working for, um, I started designing a label for a shop in Seattle. Um, that's no longer there sadly, but, um, I was making their in-house line and I was making these like really high end, um, lot, a lot of it was hand stitched, um, deconstructed pieces for them. And it was like the right store with the right clientele. And they like totally got my aesthetic. And, um, yes, I was just pretty much doing that working full time on those collections, um, couple times a year for them and they would just like buy the collection outright and then sell it in the shop it was like the dream it was like a dream gig for someone like me and so I was uh, felting pieces that would show up in the collection so you know like felt felt around the collars or I was making these really crazy like felted bonnets and um so I would like spend my days like raking shit like in <laughs> in like my terrible boots and like my overalls all day and then by night I'd be like at these amazing parties with like these you know with like the curator of the seattle art museum and just crazy people um so it was like quite a cinderella life but um so yeah that that work i was doing for them eventually turned into state when we moved eventually i'll skip i'll skip north carolina we eventually just moved to new york and it became state um but the the smock that i the very first smock that I made, I made on the farm. Um, I was deconstructing. And so I would never really have a plan. I always just start by like cutting stuff apart and like looking at the pieces and seeing what we have. And I took apart a men's shirt and cut the sleeves off and then um, ended up fooling around with it. And they became big pockets on the bottom. And I was like, oh, this is the perfect thing to wear while I'm raking because I could put alpaca treats in one pocket for this little alpaca that I was training named Carmen. Um, so I'd have her little treats in one pocket and like my, I had like an iPod or something to listen to podcasts in the other pocket. And I wore it. It was like my uniform every day. And then I slowly started making them to fill like gaps in the clothing collection I was making for the shop. And, um, they would be the first things that sold. And I was like, Oh, they're also like the easiest thing for me to make. Cause it's like a formula in my mind. It's not recreating a wheel, the wheel and making something new. So I started like making more and more of them. And then when I eventually got to New York, I was like, all right, I'm ready to like focus in on what I'm doing. And I I had made the bridge. I had made britches. A friend in Charleston was sewing those for me. And then I made like probably 20 smocks and I started, I launched a little online store and um, I think I just had like Tumblr. I don't even, I don't think I was on Instagram. I didn't know what that was. Maybe I was like late. I was really late to it. Um, I think I just had a Tumblr and I don't know, it like worked. I'd done a lot of things before then that really had not worked so well. And then like I launched this, I was like, Hey guys, like I'm starting this little store and it's called state and it like everything sold out. And I was like, Oh, okay. This is good. (laughs) So (laughs) I, this is, this will work for a while. So yeah, I've been doing it ever since. Yeah. And that was, were you in New York at that time? Yeah, I was in New York. We were living in this like one room apartment. I was working for the textile arts center, like as like a part-time job um, and started state. And then that was also really where I was like, okay, I need to really like, I don't know what I'm doing as far as making clothes go. Like I've been like 
actually making them with my hands, but like there's got to be other people are doing this in different ways and I've got to figure out what that looks like. So I met Tara St. James who runs Study New York. Uh-huh. I don't know her. Look her up. She's like just a magical being in the fashion world. But um, I was like really starstruck when I met her. I hope she doesn't listen to this because <laughs> she would find that so funny. <laughs> but um, I met her at an event and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm meeting you. Um, and she was so wonderful and nice and supportive of what I was doing. And I was like, can I come ask you some questions? And so I went to her studio and I brought like a bunch of cookies because I figured like I was like sweeten her up a little here. So I I literally had a list of questions like, okay, let's start like from the basics. Like what is wholesale? Like, what is that? People talk about that. Like, what does that mean? Like, what's that? How does that work with money? Um, mm-hmm. Like, what does that profit divide look like? And what is a line sheet? And what are these wholesale shows? And like, what the time, what's the timeline of how that works? Like you go to a show and like, and then what you sell stuff and do you like build them? And just super basic questions. And she broke it all down for me because she had been doing this for years. Um, and yeah, I just like took notes. Like I was at school. I was like, okay, jotting notes, jotting notes. And, um, she was really gracious enough to introduce me to the small factory that she worked with. And, um, I've been working with them ever since it's like this little family owned shop and they cut and sew stuff. So have, I'd say most of our stuff are like 70, well, 60 to 70% of our stuff is made in our own studio, like by uh-huh. state employees. And then the rest of it's still made up in New York. And we just send them our samples and our patterns through the mail and then they cut and sew and send it back to us. So the things that we're having made in New York now are, um, just like more complicated things that we, like, we don't have like button holders and a button sewer in our studio, those machines are thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, so like the more simple patterns that are just like straight stitch and serge, we do those in-house and then things that are more complicated with like a nice like collar structure or buttons that's still all made up in New York. Um, yeah. So I like learned really fast. I, I made so many mistakes. I did so many dumb things and scary things, but, um, state slowly started growing and I, um, I did like a collection and I went to a couple wholesale shows uh, my first like year, I guess, really doing this and got like a ton of orders. I think I was like in like 13 stores that first year and all of a sudden I was like, oh God, this is terrible. (laughs) I hate this. This is like not fun anymore. Um, Because I was still like hand dyeing and like hand painting stripes on pants, which is not, it's not super scalable in the way I was like, I just bit off way more than I could and like the wholesale shows went better than I thought. Um, So yeah, I learned really fast and like learned that maybe like that wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. And so then just did an online model and um, yeah, started just doing like small runs of things, but learning how to work with factories, learning how to like, what does grading a pattern mean? For instance, what's a marker? Like all of these things, where do you order fabric? Um, Right. Yeah. Just figured that out really quickly. Um, Yeah. Just made a system and it's pretty much the same system we use now. Yeah. So that was established back when you were in New York before coming to Georgia. Yeah. In, um, right, right. Just, you know, cause there it's so easy. Cause you can just like, we were living in Brooklyn, but you just hop the train, go over to the garment district, like meet with your factory, check on samples, um, right. you know, go look at a button shop. Like you can see everything in person. Whereas now being in Georgia, being back to like my roots of not really having any, you know, like formal structure of like a fashion world to, yeah. to work with. Like I just have the internet. So you're looking at stuff online and, or you order like a sample yard to come to you so you can wash and test the fabric and like touch it and make right. stuff out of it before you commit to it all. But, um, yeah, it's, 
that we, I, I, being in New York was so valuable. I don't think state would yeah. exist if I didn't have that chapter. Um, I was and we say, did. It seems like yeah. yeah. We wouldn't. We didn't move there for me either, which was so funny. My mm. husband um, got a job. He works in publishing, and uh, he was like, uh, "I got this job," and it was like his dream job at the time. And I was like, "We're going." I was like, "I am terrified." I had also spent a year watching, like, pro- like binge watching. Um, Law and Order, like while I was selling these collections, <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh shit!" Like this takes place in New York. Like that's where I'm. Like I was like, "Oh god, I'm such a scaredy cat." Too. I was like, "Oh god." The first week we lived in Brooklyn, I like didn't leave my apartment. I was so scared. It was so stupid. Now that I think back on it, but I was like, "Yeah, I'd never lived in a big city. It was really scary to me, but I loved yeah. it. It was amazing. I miss it." And how lot. how long were you guys in New York? I think like three and a half, four years. Yeah, wow. That's yeah, great. We uh that's sort of like our time frame. We just calculated yeah. we we've been together for 13 years. We have moved 11 times to five wow. different states in 13 years. Wow, yeah. 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 That's it's a lot. Frequent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super yeah. frequent. Yeah. yeah. Our cat yeah. has done it all with us too. But um uh-huh. now I feel like we just moved to this to Athens and we have this beautiful house and I feel like we're going to be here for like 20 years and I've never followed mm. that mm. it feels so good that's such a different yeah considering that you've been like you've had these sort of three-year periods to yeah. feel like you want to stay somewhere for 20 years that's a big yeah. deal yeah it feels so good um like that's committing cool. to this community and um yeah. yeah like relationships and you know having my kids like be in schools and the kids do that I guess you're like okay let's be stable I guess but uh because before this we were we weren't debating moving to Ireland but I couldn't figure out how to move to Ireland and keep doing state so that's what always came right back. yeah that would be tricky yeah yeah so, probably was, possible but yeah just that additional layer of how do you do it from that distance you right. know it'd be changing everything and my mom I don't think I could be that far from my mom I understand that yeah it's far <laughs> It's, yeah, being across the world from your family is a big, it's a big thing. Yeah. The last four years, we were living in Thompson, Georgia, which is this teeny, teeny town. And we lived there because my parents, my mom and my stepdad lived there. And uh, we'd only planned to be there for a year. But then we got there and like a week later, I realized I was pregnant, which we did not realize was happening. And um, so, yeah, fast forward four years later and two kids. But um, we lived (laughs) 0.9 miles away from my parents. And oh my it was gosh! Amazing. I mean, my husband might say different. Say like it wasn't as amazing as I say it was, but because um, living <laughs> near your in-laws, they're like over all the time, and like you need to, you know, trim this tree back, and just like a lot of feedback all the time, you know. But <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but I loved it so much, and I miss them. It's like my dream being down the street for my mom and being like, "Mom, I need your help." Or Ada got st- stuck in a baby stroller. This like dolls stroller once and um, she got she crawled in and got stuck and she thought it was so funny but I really couldn't get her out so I had to call them and be like can you bring some tools over like I need your help <laughs> so. my kid is stuck inside this, kid, <laughs> yeah. this toy stroller yeah, it's funny. <laughs> but I could have helped I could have gotten her out but it was just more the funny thing of being like guys like mayday I need you they thought yeah. it was really funny but yeah just yeah. like little moments like that in life yeah Having yeah. my kids know them, so I'm hoping they'll move here. That's like the big, the big campaign right now. Is, oh yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
Come to me slowly, slowly. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm the same. I do the same things. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, and then one day we're gonna have a family commune, mm-hmm. and I like haven't have not discussed this with my family, but <laughs> yeah, that's still the dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you were in Thompson, okay, I guess what I want to know is when you kind of started bringing on the team that you now have and how that kind of looked and how you started figuring out like the hiring process and what kind of roles people would fill out and that kind of stuff. Again with that, I'm such a scrapper and I'm also like just really lucky. In New York, I had a series of amazing interns, just people who would reach out to me I'd always be like, how do you know about me? <laughs> like, where did you <laughs> hear about me? Um, who would just be like, I want to come work for you for a while, um, which was great because I also didn't have any money. Um, I was working like a part-time job starting state. So they, I had probably four really amazing interns in New York. And then the last one, I like started paying her a really small amount, but it felt like so much for me. And I felt so good, yeah. like being able to pay her. And then when I moved to Georgia, I didn't have anybody. Um, and then I was pregnant. So I, I think I pretty much did it all by myself. But then the first girl who I hired, so Thompson's so small. There's like high schoolers. There's not that many people who are our age there, like in their like 20s or 30s. Um, if they are, they like probably all have kids and they're not like looking to work for a like cool clothing company. Um, <laughs> so I was always thinking like, okay, I need help. I'm about to have a baby. Like I've got to, I can't, I got to figure something out like that pack orders and take photos and stuff because I was still making all the smocks by myself and doing every like taking all the photos and editing them and uploading them to the online store so the first girl I hired was just um, I was at this little art gallery in town that my parents are part of and it was like someone's daughter and she like looked like cool like she had like style which isn't as small town sticks out like a sore thumb like anyone with like any kind of like cool or interesting style it's like oh like who is that person um so I reached out to her dad and I was like, Hey, I think I saw your daughter at the gallery. I had no, I didn't know her name. I didn't know anything about her except for that. She like had cool style for Thompson, you know? And, uh, so she called me and she was just like, what, like, what is this? So I was like, I have like a clothing company. Do you want to maybe work for me like a couple hours a week? She could have cared less about fashion or like, she didn't know anything about like what we were doing, but she w- was excited about the little side job. So she started working with me and she's been with me for four years now. And oh she's my gosh. Like, <laughs> she's blossomed into this like amazing young woman. And I feel like state has like really, you know, all the women who work at state, like have become such a great, great community to her and, you know, encourage her and support her and expo- have exposed her to, to some really cool stuff that like, I mean, has she, she always says like, had I never met you, I was about to get engaged. She was like 20. She was like, I was about to get engaged. And my plan was to like have babies and like now you know she's like I work for state and she's like I could my life is so different we just took her to New York she had never been on a plane and we just took her to New York for the show we did in um November um so yeah it's the like she was my first hire she's like family her name is Lauren hi Lauren she's uh like family to me but um and then the other the next two employees also were just girls who emailed to become interns um both of them lived really far away one lived in Atlanta which was like two hours and then one lived in Athens which was like an hour and 20 minutes I was like guys I live like really I live far you know um but sure I guess if you want to come like one day a week so they started coming um and seeing what I was doing and helping. And I just like fell in love with both of them. And um, one is now my production manager, Abby. She's amazing. Like 
she's like the backbone of state. Um, it would all crumble without her. And then Lindsay just left us. She just started, uh, working with Eastport pottery, um, and their new store in Atlanta, but she was just amazing. And she did so many different things for us, but yeah, they were just there. And I feel like because I've, um, and this like lends itself to the secret catalog, if you know about that project, but I feel like I'm Mm. always just like meeting people and like quickly seeing like their gifts and realizing like how we could work together in a really beautiful way. And I think I did that with all of these amazing women and was quickly like, Ooh, like you're really good at this. Like what if we did more of this? And like, you kind of started handling that and that can become a job. And um, so, yeah, that's pretty much how I hire people is just, it's really about the person and the personality. And like, if it creates a harmonious work environment, which is the number one important thing for me. Um, it's just like no cattiness, just like women like laughing and sharing and like supporting each other and loving each other, um, which we totally have right now. And it's the most incredible feeling um, to be in that work environment and then just finding skills and, you know, how people can help each other and work together. Um, but yeah, I could pretty much create a job for anyone like I could find I could find a way um yeah but it's, it's like also such a scrappy company where we just figure out how to do things like the girl Caitlin she works for us now she's um our cutter she had no idea like what fashion was or like you know like what working on a clothing company entailed or like how to cut for clothing we're like we'll teach you we don't really know either but like we'll all figure it out um so now you know she's like knee deep and like almost two years into this job and she's so great at it and um so yeah we just all figure it out as we go yeah scrappy and make it up as you as you go <laughs> along yeah. that's really nice yeah how has your um approach to kind of sourcing happened because I know that you were really you've been really interested in found materials and you've done a lot of that in your lifetime and with the smocks and stuff but how have you gone with sourcing for the other garments as your collections have changed and grown and stuff um that's such a good question I think that that's a really hard thing when you're starting to navigate like how to make clothing and how to scale it like where do you get those fabrics how do you make sure they're good fabrics and then how do you make sure there's enough for what you're doing Um, I think in the beginning, again, it was just a couple really kind designers in the beginning. I think designers are really, uh, well, not really, I mean, really anyone in a business like this kind of guards their sources. You work so hard to find these great sources or your factories. Like it was a big deal when Tara introduced me to her factory and it was like very understood that I was not, I could not really recommend the fact you know like I could invite maybe like one or two people I think maybe in my in my experience of working with them I've maybe introduced one other person you know because it's like you don't want to bog them down with work and you know you only want to bring like really great people to them and that's sort of the same with fabric in a different way it's like you just don't want every other designer using your fabrics because you feel like you worked so hard to find this linen source and it's like your secret linen source um but in the beginning I think a couple designers mentioned like different companies, um, fabric companies. And so, yeah, I've, I've worked with a lot of them just over, you know, since the beginning, we just have like these updated swatch books, huge binders that we're constantly updating. Um, and they're just all categorized by like cottons and linens and wool blends and, you know, and so anytime you're going to design something, you go to the books and you open it up and you just, you know, keep flipping until you find something that you like. And then, um, usually we have something, that we like from one of these companies um, that we really trust and who's using like organic cottons or recycled hemp or 
you know, some really interesting blends. We've done a shirt that has a little bit of yak down in it. Um, it's one of my favorite fabrics that we've used. Um, but uh, yeah, we pretty much just try to stick to the handful of companies that we like and we trust and that are really reliable um, and that also have a lot of stock because there's nothing worse than making something it running out of stock and being like, okay, I think we should restock this. And then they're out of the fabric. And right. Um, right. That's like the biggest bummer. But, um, and then because we do so much surface design in house, mm. um, it's sort of easy because we mostly just need like a good basic, like white or cream to then print on or paint or dye. So yeah, we have our like stock fabrics. Like we're going to use this really great um, cotton gauze again a lot for our next collection. And we've used it for years. Like it's super reliable. We love it. It washes and wears and like holds up forever because I'm still wearing like all my pieces made out of it from like six years ago. Um, So yeah, we just have like our old standbys. So it's really nice to just know like we're using that fabric. Yeah. uh, Bringing it back. So yeah, we recycle a lot of different fabrics. Um, so that's for new yardage. Working with reclaimed materials is challenging. It's so satisfying and rewarding in a lot of ways, but it's also really challenging, especially as state is growing. So our smocks have been the backbone of our business, and they're like our cult, like culty product that everybody loves and it sells out so fast. But um, yeah, it's becoming increasingly difficult to scale that as a product that we feel really good about putting out because because you're buying these shirts that have already had like a previous life. You're also buying, you know, buttons that might fall off or there might be a stain that you don't notice that all of a sudden it's now you've paid to have it sewn into a smock and now you're about ready to photograph it for the website and you realize, oh, there's this problem or that problem. And so we have racks of smocks that like need to be mended or fixed in some way. And it's just, it's, um, it's a difficult product to scale for us. Um, so yeah, that it's actually inspiring us. We're really excited about it. We're gonna, um, in March, we're launching smocks made from scratch, which is something so many people have asked us to do over the years. And I was just always really reluctant to for different reasons. Um, but then I feel like we just reach this critical mass of growth where I was like, this is really what we need. And this is what I think our customers want. They want like a dark denim smock in an extra large size and they want it today. They don't want to like wait five months for the right one to come up. They want like, they want that or like they want a petite, like extra small black linen smock. That's what they want. So we've taken our favorite bits from like every smock and we've made the perfect dream smock pattern. Um, and we patterned it and then we, Uh, made a size run of extra small to extra large. And then we picked our three favorite fabrics, like the three that like everyone always wants. So we're going to do a dark denim, a black linen, and um, like a natural canvas. And they're going to be available in five sizes all the time. Um, There you go. Yes, we're so (laughs) excited. It's like been really satisfying. um, Yeah. It's so big for us too because it's – we're making a – bunch of them and we're going to be able to offer them for wholesale, which is something, I mean, we've had hundreds of stores over the years ask, and it's just really difficult because the store will be like, I want like one black and one stripe and one blue, you know, and it was just really impossible to, to wholesale really. We would do it for shops that we loved, but, um, we couldn't really do it or grow it. So with this, we're going to slowly start to offer that to, you know, our favorite shops and, um, have the ability to grow that if we want, because it's such a good basic uniform piece. And I feel especially great about it being made from like new 
really durable, good fabrics. And they're going to be sewn at this um, awesome facility in North, um, North Carolina. And we're like kind of partnering with them and they're going to grow as we grow. And we're, you know, really helping each other through this process of figuring out how to scale this. Like if this goes big, like, can you guys make a bunch? And um, so they're like talking about, you know, maybe hiring more people and expanding facilities um, if we need to grow in that way. So yeah, it's really exciting. It's been big and it's, so it's, you know, with any kind of growth or uh, like new launch, it's terrifying. Cause you're like, what if this doesn't work? But yeah. <laughs> I think it, yeah. I think it will. I just feel um, really good about putting out like a really durable piece of workwear that people could just like have and destroy. And it's, we know every seam has been sewn, you know, by really talented seamstresses and um, it'll last forever. And so, whereas if you're using a deconstructed piece, you do, you can't speak to the quality of like what some of those seams are because you didn't put them there and you don't know how long they've been there or, you know, what they've been through. So just like from a business owner and a designer's perspective, like I feel so good about making these from scratch and putting them out into the world and being able to speak to like every part of it um, and know like where they're made and who they're made from and who they're made by. So yeah, I'm super excited. Yeah, that's really exciting. Yeah, so yeah. that's we have so many crazy big things coming up, but that's like the biggest and the thing we've been working the hardest on. So that's wonderful. Yeah, that's really exciting, and it's cool to be able to look back and see the way that it's kind of evolved over time. From you know your kind of personal uniform, yeah, <laughs> to all the different iterations of it to what it's going to be now, which is really exciting. Yeah, it's really become like. It's like the wind beneath our wings, really. The smock. It's like yeah. when we started it. But uh, yeah. yeah, I still yeah. have my first smock too. I can't get the very first one I ever made. It's so it's so bad, but I can't get rid of it. I don't wear it or anything. It's just in like my archive box. But um, yeah, yeah. sentimental. Yeah. <laughs> That's really nice. How does um? Because I know you were saying like you had been painting all these pants by hand when you were up in New York, and I know that you still do a lot of that painting and surface design in-house how have you kind of changed what that's looked like so it's worked for your physical body and for the oh bodies of the people who help you <laughs> well you know what's so funny is um yeah that's just one of those things that has not evolved as much as other things I mean we're still a yeah. really small company and I do a lot of I don't sew anymore, which is so strange because in the beginning I like just sewed all day long and watched Law and Order, like I said. But yeah. uh, I don't sew anything. The other day I sewed a tag in, and Abby was like, "Oh, you sewed the tag?" And I was like, "Yeah, like I, just, I do know how to sew, remember?" But I don't really sew anymore, which is fine with me because I don't love it. Like I'm not like a crafts a craftswoman in that way. I'm not precise at all. I'm yeah. very much an artist. I want to like get in, get out, like quick and dirty, make something cool get this idea out of my head um but the painting I do all of that still which is um kind of kind of crazy and stupid um that I still do that but I love it it's like the happiest part of my day and I'll reward myself like I'll like pay our sales tax bill or like do something really boring and not fun and then afterwards I get to like paint you know 10 yards of something but um, in the beginning in New York, all I was painting were the britches. And so I would just line them along the floors of our apartment and do them. And then I eventually got a little studio um, so I could do, but I still, I was just working on like a countertop. Um, so now we have big work tables at my parents. They're woodworkers. They built us these two, they're eight foot long tables. So 
We have two in a row, so I can get like 16 feet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't slept in like four years. Um, so sometimes math, like quick, quick math. Um, but yeah, so I can roll out and do a lot of yardage that way or line up a lot of pieces. So certain things we pay, we paint after they're sewn and certain things we'll paint yardage before it's sewn. So when we plan a collection, mm. we have these crazy diagrams of all the pieces. And then we have these like color coded notes where it's like, okay, this gets painted as yardage. So all the fabric yeah. needs to get shipped to us. I'll paint all the yardage, then we'll heat set the yardage, then we'll either, and then is it sewn in-house or is it sewn up in New York? So if it's sewn in New York, then all that fabric has to get sent back to New York or if it's sewn in-house, which is what we usually try to do just because shipping things all over is just not efficient. Um, So then if it's sewn in-house, that's fine. Or something, we just send plain goods up to New York, it's made into clothing, and then that's shipped to us, and then I'll paint it once it's sewn. So it depends on like what I'm painting, if I'm painting it as a garment or as if, I, if, I, if I'm painting it as yardage, um, mm. certain things are really like polka dots are really difficult to do if something's already sewn. Cause you need the dots mm. to like span the whole garment. And so it's really hard right. on seams. So it's right. like, you almost have to paint it in three or four like sittings because you need to paint like the front yeah. and then next day, like do like a quarter turn, paint across all those seams, let it totally dry do the back, you know, do the back. <laughs> oh, um, man, so yeah. like I think through all of these logistics before, like as I'm planning what we're going to paint. Um, and then we just recently, this last collection threw in a giant silk screening, um, which we had never done before, but I really wanted yeah. these crazy plaid pants. And so the only way we could think to get that, cause hand painting plaid painting stripes is like pretty time consuming, but then plaid is just doing that twice, you know, then like turning it and doing <laughs> yeah. it again. Yeah. So we were like, we, that's so dumb. We can't do that. So we have to silk screen it, but we did no idea, no idea what we're doing. And if you follow us on Instagram, you saw all of the horrible mistakes that we made and it was so comical. Um, but as you can see right yeah. now, only you can there see this, is. but I'm wearing one of our skirts, the plaid skirts. Um, yeah. And it turned out exactly like, as I imagined. So we just persevered and like pushed through all the mistakes that we made. But um, we're working right now on our next screen for this next season, which is going to be another drawing. Um, so that was another learning curve of like, okay, how many people does it take us to silk screen? And, you know, we're still doing dumb stuff. Like the other day it was just Abby and I, so we didn't have, usually we have a third person to like do little steps while we're printing. Um, but we didn't have the third person. So we were balancing this massive, heavy metal silk screen on our heads. So we could use our hands to change things out on the work table. But the ink that we were using, it's this black ink. And if you get it in your hair, it's literally will stay for like two months. Like it does not come out of your hair. And so, you know, we took it off our heads, we were printing and Abby looked over at me and she's like, oh, oh my God, you have so much ink. I had a black, just like glob stripe across the top of my head of this jet and I have blonde hair of jet black ink. So we all of everyone dropped everything. We're all at the sink, just like scrubbing, just trying to get this ink out. Um, so yeah, we still make really funny mistakes, but, um, yeah, we're getting it, we're getting it down. And so the, the, the surface design element is something that's like really organic and playful and makes it all feel, it just feels like life is happening in the studio. And like, and that comes along with like mistakes and happy accidents and beautiful things that inspire new ideas. So it's something that I will always be a part of what we make because I think it also makes the clothes feel really special and really intentional and like just 
like they're just yours. You know, I think mm-hmm. and, uh, we've gotten that feedback from so many people that their clothes just make them happy and make them feel like really cool and different out in the world. And we don't make a lot of them, you know, we're not making like 50 of 50 things. Like we're, we work in really small batches and, and so, you know, you probably are the only girl in like California with these pants or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which feels cool. And I wear them all the time. <laughs> Ooh, you got <laughs> wearing them right now. <laughs> I'm, you I'm know like, this is kind of fangirly to wear them oh to our God. interview, but I'm going to so, do it. <laughs> I'm jealous because with those pants, I, um, I have the sample, which we made out of a different fabric. And then we wash them. We're like, no, no, this fabric isn't great. And then we switched to that fabric. So I have like mm. the dud fabric, but I still wear them oh. all the time. But I'm so jealous of those but they keep they keep selling so well I haven't I haven't um, been able to justify stealing a pair (laughs) they're really (laughs) dreamy just I keep waking up and thinking like oh I'll wear something else and like I'll wear real real clothes today and then I'm like "Mm, but this like one outfit that I wear every day of like my little Aaliyah like hemp cotton sweatshirt in this sage color with these pants. I'm like, well, this is pretty much it, it's it looks it like for a me. Outfit. I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way about our perfect pants. I um I probably have like 13 in my closet. It's all I wear. That's yeah. all I want to wear. Yeah, they're really know. they're just so comfortable and it's it's funny like I have had this pair of I think I told you a little bit about this when we were emailing just like this these pants that I got at a clothing swap in Sydney that was somebody had bought in like Thailand and like like years and years and years ago and they're like a similar like drop crotch thing like those pants I'd I'd say they were less flattering than the perfect pants but but I wore them con- like to death even though everybody was always like wearing your poopy pants again are ya <laughs> like yes I am don't give me any more shit for it because I love them yeah put them on <laughs> or I just didn't care way. Yeah, and it's just, I just don't care what other people, when I'm that comfortable and feel that, like, in my body in clothes, I just don't give a shit what other people tell me. No. Well, and you know, I, people always, I always get compliments on them because I think other women are like, wow, that looks really cool, but it also looks so comfortable. Yeah, totally. Like, what are those, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, No, I think there's enough little, like, modern updates from that kind of pant that I had that I feel a lot better about wearing these in a way that feels like I'm not just schlepping around in my pajamas. Yeah, yeah. that's like, ours is like elevated, like, house loungewear is what it really is. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. How do you feel so comfortable? Yeah, out in the world and still look kind of put together or yeah something. but like also it's funny because it's also like eye-catching clothes I would say like half yeah. of it half of what we make yeah. is like minimal like modern neutrals but then half of what we make is like kind of loud in your face like you know you yeah. don't wear something that's hand-painted and like want to hide in the corner like you wear something hand-painted right. because you want people to be like whoa that's super cool right. um so it's it's a funny mix of wanting to feel really comfortable but then also wanting to look really cool yeah. Well, and I love, actually love about state that there always is the surface design element of it. And though I like tend to stick to only my neutrals ever, <laughs> I love that it exists, especially in a, in a slow fashion world where, um, a lot of silhouettes, like there's only so many ways <laughs> a friend of mine was like, there's only so many ways to cut a like linen sack dress or so like 
you know, something like that, which I love. I'm like a personal, very strong fan of this and have plenty of those sorts of things in my wardrobe. But I like the way that state kind of fills this interesting niche within this community, which is still slow fashion and is still small batch and all these things, but that it's, it has this element of like, of you in it that is so unmistakably you, you know? Thank you. I like, that's a good way to think of it too. Um, because there are so only so many ways you can do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's not, you know, no shade. I love, obviously, like, I am the poster child of neutral, like, linen baggy things. But I just, like, <laughs> love that there's, I love that this is something that exists in the world, too. I think it's really special. Well, thank you. You know, and it's funny because a couple collections ago, we tried to go a little less crazy. Mm-hmm. We were like, let's be, like, pragmatic businesswomen and, like, let's just make, like, more neutrals and maybe, like, you know, because maybe we're being too specific. Like, my husband's always, mm. like you know, only so many people like want that kind of a skirt, you know, like that's a pretty specific customer. Um, and so we tried to appeal like to a more of a general and it just did not work. It was like our worst season ever. And I was like, fuck this. Like, <laughs> you're like, stick with the gut. <laughs> yeah. Let's bring back the paint. Let's get, let's, let's mess this up. I was like, we're just doing what I want to do here from here on out y'all. <laughs> so yeah, just always just, that's like the best advice really is just to do what makes you really excited and what you, you know, what's like so clearly coming out of you without trying to make it one way or the other. Yeah. I think that that's like the most consistent advice that I've heard probably given on the podcast and, and on other podcasts in general, it's just sort of, you can't, you might try to make something that it seems like your customers might want or you, you know, but those end up inevitably being the the flop products and the ones that like came out of fulfilling a need in your life end up being this thing that people really resonate with because it's like this truthful, truthful thing that came from you. Yeah. Yeah. I think always go, always go with authentic. Yeah. 100%. (laughs) Well, thanks, Adrian. I, um, is there anything else that you want to share? I know we talked about the, you've got a lot of exciting things coming up and I know we talked about the smocks. Is there anything else that you want to share with the podcast world or anything well, like that? Hopefully soon we've been looking high and low for our new studio space here in Athens. Awesome. Um, my forever home, at least for let's say 15 years. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I shouldn't commit to too much. Um, but uh, yeah, we've been looking for a new studio space, but we've realized since being here that we really want a store. So that's super exciting. So I don't know if some of your listeners might know what the secret catalog is slash was, but um, uh, yeah. it's it's a big project that we used to do, might do again. Um, that's a whole other conversation. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think the store will kind of pick up where that last issue left off and it'll allow us to collaborate with a lot of other brands that we love and have relationships with and make a really badass store that is our clothing, but then products that kind of vibe with that, like shoes and underwear and jewelry and accessories. And then also just weird little gifty things and sculptures and artwork. And, um, so yeah, so we're looking for a space that has that. And, um, yeah, there's some interesting contenders as far as where we'll end up, but yeah, it could be big. So Cool. Yeah, that's a that's an exciting thing. And then we have a couple new collections coming up um, in February. We have an all denim collection coming out, Ooh. which I'm super excited. It's just a little one, yeah. but it's like a, it's like a handful of like key things that we make, but all in denim. And then Ooh. our summer collection is going to be beautiful. Um, mm. That's shaping up. So we're actually more on top of things than normal. Um, we're like really like 
planning ahead and usually we're like yeah. oh gosh we got to make this collection like by next month so this time we're um, we're getting a little bit more ahead of the game and uh, yeah it's exciting it's maybe a really big year so yeah That's stay tuned awesome. yeah well uh, definitely obviously link to everything in the show notes and everywhere so that everybody can follow along and and see all of this unfold well thank you and thank you for all the good work you do on this podcast it's been oh. yeah so inspiring Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs>